Good morning. So very good to see you this morning. One of the, one of the things that I love about this congregation, one of the many things that I love about this church is how many opportunities we give our young people to, uh, to grow and to learn and to be together. I'm, I loved being at LTC last weekend in Dallas and watching the, the kids uh, do what they had been working on for so long. And I'm excited about tonight. I know we've announced it many times, but I'm excited about tonight's showcase uh, and how the young people are going to demonstrate and display and show you the things that they've been working on. And I, I say that for two reasons. One is I really want you to be here tonight uh, for the showcase. But two, I've been thinking this week a lot about that word showcase, showcase, an opportunity to display, to demonstrate, to show others what, what something is made of. And, and I want you to reflect on the fact that you are God's showcase. You are God's showcase. God is constantly putting you on display. You as an individual Christian and you collectively as the church, God is putting you on display and demonstrating and showing the world, showing even the, the rulers and authorities in the unseen places, that's what I can do with people. That's what I can do with people. He is demonstrating his work in transforming you. Now, that is, that is a wonderful, exciting thought, isn't it? That we are God's showcase. We are God's masterpiece. God is displaying and demonstrating his transforming work through the Spirit in you. But it's also a very humbling thought, isn't it? We have to stop and, and ask ourselves, am I allowing God to do his transforming work in me? Everything, everything that you do, everything that you say is an opportunity for God to display in you, that's what I can do in a person. That's what I can do with a human life. That's what I can do with people's thoughts. That's what I can be, do with people's actions. That's what I can do with people's words. And it's the words. That, that's what I really want to focus on this, this month. For the next three weeks, I want us to think about our words, and whether or not God's transforming power is being demonstrated in the things that we say and in the things that we don't say. Here's the question I want us to think about as we start this morning. How are your words showcasing the Spirit's work? How are your words, not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, on the good days and the bad days, when, when your kids are getting on your nerves, when your parents are getting on your nerves, when your coworkers are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, how are your words showcasing the Spirit's work? And I want us to think about that this morning, and I want us to think about that for the next three weeks, and I want to do something a little different this morning. I want to pray this question into our hearts. So let's pray together. Father God, it is, a, it is a humbling thing that you want to display your grace and your mercy and your love and your Spirit's transforming work in us. 
Father, we readily confess that we are still a work in progress, that there are so many things in us that have yet to be transformed. Father, help us to reflect on whether or not we are being transformed, whether or not we are yielding and surrendering to your your Spirit's presence, to your Spirit's work. Father, help us to reflect on whether or not we are being transformed and whether or not your Spirit's transforming work can be displayed and demonstrated and showcased in our words. Help us to reflect on that today and this week and in the coming weeks and help us, Father, to yield to yield to your power. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Let's, let's look at the book of Ephesians as we're going to spend the next few weeks is we're going to look at the book of Ephesians and, and see how that's one of Paul's themes in this letter that God is demonstrating and displaying and showcasing his transforming work in you and through you. So if you have your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4. And I love the way that this translation puts this particular passage. It says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now notice, Paul says, not that you will be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, but you are. You are seated with Christ. God made a place for you at his family table. Because of what Jesus did for you, because of what Jesus did for us, because of the grace and the mercy and the love of God, God has made a place for you at the family table. And there is a sense in which you are there now. And that changes everything. At least it should. That should change everything. You are not who you were before. You are not who you were before. You are not defined by the things that you did before. You are not defined by the things you thought before. You are not defined by the places you went before. You are defined by the fact that you are in Jesus. And in Jesus, you are right now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are right now seated with Christ at God's family table. And that changes everything. Look at verse 7. So... God can point to us, I love that phrase, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Amen? This is, this is not something you did for yourself. We're not saying, hey, show the world how much you changed yourself. That's not what the gospel says. 
The Gospels doesn't say, show, show the world how much hard work you've done on yourself. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is, God took you who were dead. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were dead. You were defiled. You were dirty. You were distraught. You had no hope. And he... He took you and he saved you and he cleansed you and he purified you and he put you back together. And he's still in the process of transforming you and you making you into someone new, brand new, human being 2.0. And he's doing this so that he can point to you and say, see, see what I could do? Do you see what I can do? I can take somebody, some lousy guy like Wes McAdams and I can clean him up. I can work on him. I could do this with Paul, with Saul of Tarsus. I could do this with anybody. Look at what I have done in these people's lives. Look at how hopeless they were before. Look at the things they did before. Look at the way they lived before. Look at, look at the things that they thought before. Do you see how I've transformed them? Do you see how I've blessed them? Do you see how I've changed them? Don't you dare take credit for any of that. That's not your credit to take. That's God's credit. He gets all of the credit and all of the glory. And this is why he's doing this. He's changing you, yes, for your sake, but even more so for his glory. That for, from into eternity, future, God can continue to point at his people and say, do you see what my grace can do? Do you see what my mercy can do? Do you see what my power can do? Do you see how I can transform people? Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. Now notice, we are God's masterpiece, not God's museum piece, right? We are God's masterpiece, not his museum piece. He didn't save us so that he could sit us on a shelf and say, look at how great that is. He didn't, he didn't save you so you could sit in a pew and think how great it is to be saved. He saved you so that you could go out and do the good things that he planned for us long ago so that you could live out your salvation, so that you could get up and get out, go and live and do, do the good things that God planned for you to do, the things you weren't doing before because you were selfish before. You're just following your own desires. You're following your own passions. We all were. We just did what we felt like doing. We did what we wanted to do. But God said, I've got something bigger for you. I've got, I've got something that's so much more wonderful for you to do. And, and you can't make yourself into the person who can do all of those things. But I can do it. I can do it. I can change you. I can transform you. I can fix you. I can heal you, I can bless you, I can transform you, and he's begun to do that work in you. And then he says, now, now get up, go live it out, go demonstrate how, how different you are, not because of you, but because of him, 
because of what he's done in you. Go live out the good works that he's planned for you to do. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work. Where, church? Within us. The power is at work within us. The power is at work within you. According to the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's work is at, God's power is at work within us to change us, to transform us, so that we're not the people that we were before. Why? So that he might be glorified. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the story you're a part of. You are God's showcase. The church is God's showcase. Not a bunch of people that followed all the rules and can pat themselves on the back because they're smart and good and righteous. No, people that were messed up and hopeless and helpless. People who were dead. And then God raised them up from their death and transformed them, changed them so that God could put them on display, not on a shelf somewhere, but out doing good works in the world. And so that God could point to us and say, you see? Do you see what my love can do? Do you see what my mercy can do? Do you see what my grace can do? Do you see what my spirit can do? When I put my spirit into a people, it changes them. And and Paul wants his readers, Paul wants the church in Ephesus and the church at McDermott Road, he wants us to embrace this reality that God wants to demonstrate now and throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God wants to demonstrate his power to change lives in you. And this has to change the way we do everything. The way we go to work. The work we go to. The way we talk when we're there. The things we do, the things we refrain from doing, this changes Everything. In chapter 4, Paul starts to get really practical. He lays out all of the, all of the theological truth in the first three chapters. He says, this is who you are in Jesus. You're not who you were before. You're not defined by what you did before. You're new. You're transformed. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You are empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is alive and present and at work within you. And then in chapter 4, then he begins to tell them, so what? Like, what does that look like in everyday life? He says in verses 17 through 19, he says, don't don't live like the Gentiles. Don't go back to what you were doing before. I mean, what what a shame that would be, wouldn't it? For us to just go back and do what we did before? For us to come up out of the the water of baptism and just 
go back to living the life we lived before? To thinking the way we thought before? Treating people the way we treated them before? Talking the way we talked before? Don't go back to that lifestyle. Look at verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, this has all kinds of implications and applications, doesn't it? To every single aspect of our lives. Every single aspect of our lives. He says, take off. Take off the old self. Put off the old self. Human being 1.0. You're not that old person anymore. You're new. Live like it. Act like it. Serve like it. Love like it. Talk like it. He says in verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Having put away falsehood. Having put away falsehood. Stop, stop lying. Don't lie. Don't speak things that aren't true. That, that's how you used to speak. That's how you used to talk. That's how you used to distort reality. But, but now you're new. Now you're different. Now you can't talk like you talked before. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, will this resonate with us? Put away falsehood. I mean, the people at McDermott Road. I mean, us. Like, would we, would we say that, that we lie? That we speak falsehood? Or would, or would a lot of us say, oh, I, I don't do that. I, I, don't, I don't speak falsehood. I, I don't speak things that aren't true. I mean, let's, let's really reflect. That's what we're doing this year, isn't it? Reflect? Let's reflect. Let, let's ask ourselves some harder questions. Why do we? Why, why do people in general, why do we deny and distort and disguise the truth? Because that's what falsehood is, isn't it? It is a denial of, a distortion of, an attempt to disguise or hide the truth, reality. Why do we do that? What motivates us to deny and distort and disguise the truth? Let me suggest a few things. Number one, we're attempting to take, take something that doesn't belong to us. Now, it could be stealing something that doesn't belong to us, but it could be as simple as taking credit for something that we didn't do. We do that, don't we? Take credit for something that we didn't do. And by taking credit for something that we didn't do, taking credit away from someone else or taking credit away from God, we are denying, we are distorting, we are disguising the truth. Or how about this week is, is well, let's go back to, let's stay on number one for a second. This week is, is tax week, right? I, I know you don't want me to remind you of that, but this week is tax week. How often do people try to take something that doesn't belong to them by saying they made less money in a year than they actually did? And by doing that, we are denying and distorting and disguising the truth. 
Or how about as simple as pretending to be sick and taking an extra day off of work or pretending to be sick and taking an extra day off of school, denying and distorting and disguising the truth. Or let's move on to another reason. Number two, we wish the lie was true. That's why so often we deny and distort and disguise the truth is because we wish what we were saying was true. We wish it was true. That's why we boast. That's why we exaggerate. That's why we use hyperbole. Maybe we, maybe we share vacation photos and we only share the highlights, right? And, and it really is, at the very core, an attempt to make people think that something is better than it really is. We're distorting the truth. We're disguising the truth. It may be as simple as someone asks you, how are you doing? And what do we always respond with? I'm, I'm fine. That may be an attempt to disguise the truth, to distort the truth, because maybe you're not fine. And maybe it would be better if you spoke the truth with your neighbor. Number three, we're trying to escape or avoid an uncomfortable situation. When somebody asks you, how does this dress look on me? That's an uncomfortable situation, isn't it? And so we're tempted to distort the truth because we want to escape an uncomfortable situation. Or when we say, I have no idea how that got broken. I have no clue what happened to the vase. I have no, no idea what happened to that lamp. We're trying to escape or avoid an uncomfortable situation. When we tell somebody, I can't, I can't make it tonight, I've got other plans, when really we just don't want to be there. Number four, we care more about winning an argument or proving a point than about the truth. We exaggerate things sometimes, don't we? We say things like, you always do this, you never do that. That's not true, is it? When you say to someone, you always do this, or you never do that, you're distorting the truth. You're distorting the truth because you care more about winning the argument or proving your point than you do really about what is true. What is true is you sometimes do this. What is true is you often do this. What is true is I would like for you to do this thing a little more often. But it's not as easy to win the argument as if you say, you always do that or you never do that. How about when we quote things out of context? Sometimes we quote politicians out of context. Sometimes we quote our friends out of context. Sometimes we quote scripture out of context. Why? Because all we care about is winning the argument or proving the point. We're not really concerned about what's true. What we're concerned about is winning. And we're willing to win at any cost. How about, how about sharing unverified information? We don't take the time to check out, is that really true? Is that really true? Because we don't care if it's true. All we care about is winning the argument or proving the point. You see, I think if we were to reflect on how often we speak falsehood, we might be surprised that we're still struggling with this, aren't we? We're still struggling with this. We're still struggling to be transformed, for the Spirit to do His work in us, so that we put away falsehood. Go back to verse 25. 
Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors or with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. When we say speak the truth, what we don't mean, what Paul doesn't mean is speak your blunt opinions. That's not what he means, okay? Speak the truth. Speak the truth. In fact, when Paul says speak the truth with his neighbor, he's actually quoting from Zechariah chapter 8, which in context is a messianic promise. And Zechariah says this, Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16, talking about the day when the Messiah comes and God's people are transformed. He says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true, that make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. He's talking about when the Messiah comes. These are the kinds of things that you'll do. You'll be neighborly. You'll be kind. You will seek fairness and justice. You will not take advantage of one another. Speaking falsehood is really an act of injustice, isn't it? When we speak things that aren't true, when we share things that aren't true, when we perpetuate things that aren't true, when we distort and deny and disguise reality, we're actually participating in injustice. But speaking the truth with one another is an act of setting things right, of speaking what is true, what is right, what is honest, what is real. Going back to verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul says this is why, because we belong to each other. We belong to each other. When you lie, when you deny, the, deny reality, distort reality, or disguise reality, you're hurting everybody involved. Everybody involved. You think, it's just, a, it's just a little white lie. I didn't actually lie. I just let them believe something that wasn't actually true. You're actually hurting everyone, including yourself. Lies hurt everyone who speaks them, everyone who hears them, and everyone about whom they are spoken. It hurts everyone involved. We belong to one another. But when we speak the truth, we're actually doing good to the whole body and for the whole body. Everyone's credibility is on the line, isn't it? Again, going back to Paul's overall point, God wants to showcase the Spirit's work in you. And the Spirit's credibility is on the line. When you open your mouth or you get on Facebook or Twitter, when you do anything, the Spirit's credibility is on the line, the church's credibility is on the line, and your personal credibility is on the line. A lie harms everyone, and the truth is an act of love and justice towards everyone. If, if we went through some of the reasons we, we tell things that aren't true, I want us to kind of look at the flip side of that and say the Spirit's work is showcased in Christians who... Number one, tell the truth at personal cost. The Spirit's work is showcased when Christians tell the truth when a person might be expected to tell something that was a lie, to speak a falsehood. When Christians tell the truth at personal cost, in other words, they sacrifice things like 
respect or money or attention that they could have otherwise had if they just participated in the lie. But instead, when we speak the truth at personal cost, we speak the truth when it costs us respect, when it costs us money, when it costs us fame, when it costs us respect and attention, then the Spirit's work is showcased. Number two, the Spirit's work is showcased in Christians who acknowledge realities that are not as they wish. When we say, this is the way things are. It's not the way I want them to be. Maybe not the way that they should be. But this is the way that things are. We, we do that when we confess our sins. When we refuse to be arrogant or brag or boast. But instead we confess our sins. We're real and true and honest about who we are. It's not what I wish was true but it is what is true. Number three, when Christians are honest, when it puts them in uncomfortable situations, the truth should put us in uncomfortable situations. Sometimes we think about how the truth puts other people in uncomfortable situations, but we should be willing to tell the truth when it puts us in an uncomfortable situation. And finally, number four, when we are prioritizing truth over proving a point. Wouldn't it be amazing if we're willing to say, hey, this is what I think is true, but I can't prove that, and I'm not willing to compromise my integrity and my credibility and the credibility of the church and the credibility of God by trying to prove a point, by taking something out of context, by sharing something that hasn't been verified. I would rather lose the argument or fail to prove the point than I would speak something or share something that isn't true. This is the kind of thing, these are the kinds of things that we do if we want to be part of showcasing the Spirit's work. In other words, your words are for the transmission of truth. Your words are for the transmission of truth. Primarily the truth about Jesus. You get to be the conduit, the conduit through which God shares the truth about Jesus with the world. You get to share that with the world. And we have to recognize, we have to recognize that our credibility personally and collectively and the credibility of God is always on the line. We all, we all have a lot of work to do, don't we? Or, or better yet, the Spirit still has a lot of work to do in us and through us. And we have to be intentional about surrendering ourselves to the Spirit's work in us. And that begins when we're baptized. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready. You're ready for Jesus to raise you up from the dead, to forgive you and transform you, to put his spirit in you so that that transforming work can begin. Or maybe it's already begun in you, but maybe you've lost sight and have stopped surrendering yourself to him and you need to recommit yourself to that. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We are all in this together. And we are all a work in progress. So if we can help you in any way, now's a great opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing.